Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and those who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, the Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture of, and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan, and I am your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 49 of Fireside. <coughs> Clear my throat there, that's a good start. We are coming to you, as always, from the beautiful surroundings of the Head Stuff Podcast Network Studios here in Dublin. It is episode 49. If you are a first-time listener, you are very welcome. You've chosen a big one to start with. And if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. Before we kick off, just a couple of things. If you're enjoying this podcast, please do follow me on Instagram at FiresideBard. And that's the best place to get all updates about this podcast and about live shows. Please do leave comments and ratings on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. They do make a difference. They do help it climb up through the charts and through the ratings. And uh, we just, as I'm recording this, we just last night had fireside sessions as a part of the Dublin Podcast Festival, our second ever live show, which I'm pleased to say was a huge success. Um, I was delighted with it. Thank you so much to everyone who came along and supported it. It was a great night. Uh, for those who couldn't make it along, it was just an evening of me just on my own, telling stories, singing songs. It was the first time I hadn't had any guests or anything. It was in the brand new podcast studios with which Headstuff have opened here in Dublin. Literally, uh, I am on the third floor of this building right now, and on the second floor, or the first floor rather, uh, is the brand new podcast studios. And it was amazing. It was the second ever gig in it. It's a brand new venue specifically opened for recording podcasts and for live podcast shows. And I think a brilliant, very bright future is ahead of it in general and certainly with Fireside there as well. So it is just a matter of time now before the next live show, which I hope anyone, particularly around Ireland, who wasn't able to come to the last one can come along if they so wish. We are, uh, one more thing before, and uh, thank you so much. I've actually been receiving more messages on Instagram than than ever before. I asked you all to give feedback on the Halloween episode particularly because it was such a change in format in that it was me reading uh, sections of prose and poetry rather than just adapting folktales. And I really wanted to test the waters in terms of expanding the potential of what this podcast is and what uh, it could be and it has been fantastic and really appreciated to get uh, to receive uh, lovely supportive messages from all of you and uh, if I haven't got back your message already I absolutely will and thank you for sending on and please do continue to send on your feedback what you like even what you don't like about this podcast because it's ours together it's nothing without you listening to it as much as it's nothing without me recording it 
So with that in mind, we are going to continue the Ulster cycle of Irish mythology. This is, we're in the big leagues now. My God, what stories these are to adapt. They are weighty, they are meaty, they are beautiful. This is the second tale in the pre-Tawn Ulster cycle. This is all laying the groundwork for what will be the greatest battle in all of Ireland. And this is, even if you don't know this story, you nearly undoubtedly, if certainly if you grew up in Ireland, will know this name and this uh, this title, Deirdre of the Sorrows. She's one of the last characters to feature in the Fireside theme that we are going to do a story of. And she is not, I put myself in the category that I had this idea of who Deirdre was, but I realised I never really knew this story at all. It was totally different to how I imagined it was. And we're going to just get right down to the story. We'll chat a bit after it. But this is the story of Deirdre of the Sorrows on Fireside. Deirdre of the Sorrows. King Conchabar Macnassa sat on the throne of Ulster. One night he and his loyal band of warriors, the Red Branch Knights, went to visit the house of Phelamid, the greatest storyteller in the province. It was a night of incredible celebration because Phelamid was to become a father for the very first time. His wife was full with child when the Ulster warriors came to celebrate, but the couple were honoured and so were more than happy to host the king and his knights. They ate and drank and sang their way through the night with Phelimidge regaling them all with stories all throughout. But when the revels were at an end, when the last pint had been supped, the last tune sang and the last story slurred and mumbled, everyone in Phelimidge's house fell into a deep slumber. But before dawn had cracked, every hungover head was woken by the screech and cry of a baby. It was Phelimidge's wife, but she hadn't given birth. The cries of the baby still inside her womb perforated the eardrums of every king and knight in the house. The distressed woman was brought before Kunkabar, and the king asked his druid Cothbod for insight. The druid put his hand on the woman's stomach, moving around until he felt the presence of the baby within. He then said, There is a baby girl that grows inside you. Her name will be Deirdre and she will be a class of beauty not yet seen in this land. Phelimich kissed his wife, overjoyed at this news. Do not celebrate, said Cotbod, for this child will bring about great misery. She will divide Ulster and cause the deaths of many of our greatest warriors. With this, the prospective parents began to weep. The assembled crowd of Red Branch knights began to murmur and called for their opinions to be heard. We shall kill the child, came the call. Be cruel to be kind. Kill her now before she lives, before she becomes the doom of us all. No, came the cry of the mother. Spare my innocent baby. Do not rob her of her only chance at life over the assumptions of one old man. But then Kunkabar raised his hand. He was such a respected and well-tempered ruler, he never needed to shout to be heard. A raise of his hand silenced the room. The king had sat silently while his knights railed and argued, but the king did not speak before he had considered each word and didn't make any rash decisions lightly. But when he did finally speak, he said, Something must be done. 
there is no denying. But I will not become the king who murdered an innocent babe in her mother's womb. Prophecy or not, prophecies must be seized and made. I was prophesied to be king, but without the constant wisdom of my mother and the teachings of my father, I would never have sat on the throne of Ulster. I will raise this Deirdre myself. She will be kept out of sight of all men except me. And if she does, in fact, turn out to be as beautiful as this druid has said, then I will marry her myself. No one would deny me that. And then she cannot possibly divide Ulster or cause the death of any of its warriors. The king had spoken, and the king's word was final, and all went away satisfied. The baby, Deirdre, was born mere days after, and very quickly was taken out of her crying mother's arms and taken by Kunkabar back to Eamon Macha and taken to a cottage deep within the woods. But of course, Kunkabar had a kingdom to rule. He could not care for this child entirely himself. So he entrusted the baby to an old nurse named Lowercombe. Lowercombe had nursed the king herself and was also one of the most quick-witted and devastating satirists in Ulster. With her, the baby Deirdre would be raised in safety and with a keen mind. The years passed, and Deirdre only became more and more beautiful with each year, until it was, as the prophecy had said, and she was the most beautiful woman in the province, and probably in all of Era. So it was decided that she would indeed marry Kunkabar when the time was right. This, however, was not at all good news to Deirdre. For as well as her being the most beautiful, she was also one of the sharpest and strong-willed women in Ulster. After all, she had been raised by a satirist first and foremost. Despite his growing years and the enormous age gap between the two, Kunkabar was still considered a great beauty himself. Not just powerful in status, but in physicality. Kind and even-tempered, he was still very much the eligible bachelor. But Deirdre didn't see it. She had been denied access to all other men her entire life by the king. But she knew other men were out there. So she spent the days dreaming about her perfect match. She felt certain it would definitely not be the king. And one winter's day, Deirdre took a walk through the woods and came across the fresh carcass of a deer. Its entrails lay on the snow, and feasting upon them was a raven. The image captured and engulfed Deirdre. She became obsessed with the colours before her. She felt it immediately and permanently that her true love would have raven-dark hair, skin as white as snow, and cheeks as red as blood. She ran back to the cottage and told her nurse Lowercombe about the vision, and the loose-lipped old woman said, There is only one man in all of Ulster who fits that description, and that is... And then she bit her tongue. Who? Tell me, cried Deirdre. You, you are promised to the king. I, I cannot tell you. Please, Larcombe, if there is someone out there with raven hair and snow-white skin and, and blood-red cheeks, I need to know his name. The old nurse ultimately could never refuse Deirdre and finally conceded. Your man is one of the three sons of Eshnoch, the youngest, strongest and most handsome. Nisha. The three sons of Ishnok 
were the three best fighters in Ulster. When the three of them fought side by side with their backs to each other, entire armies would be repelled. Not only that, but their voices were so comforting that were any of them to sing near a cow, she would produce twice the milk, and any person would be immediately put at ease. Once Deirdre learned of his existence, she sought Nisha out. The youngest of the sons of Ishnok was hunting alone in the woods when she finally happened upon him. She strolled directly in front of him, and he couldn't help but say, I'm out here hunting, and this fine doe walks before me. The does grow fat here, where there are no stags, was Deirdre's reply. Upon a proper glance, Nisha realised who she was. No stags? Are you not Deirdre? You're engaged to the mightiest stag in the forest. I am an old stag, when I'd much prefer a young buck like you. Nisha bit his lip. I'm incredibly humbled by your desire, but I could never be with you. And why not? Are you scared of an old man? That old man is the king of Ulster. And not only that, but there is also Cuthbod's prophecy. As a warrior, I face too much risk and danger to interfere with prophecies. Upon this comment, Deirdre grabbed Nisha by both his ears and pulled hard. Nisha was not the kind to let out a cry, even when wounded in battle. But by the gods, when Deirdre pulled his ears, he cried out so that all of Ulster could hear him. Ah! Release me, woman! I will not, and Deirdre made this claim, a life of shame upon you if you do not take me with you. Never, cried Nisha. You will do it, and we will love each other forever. Upon hearing their brother's cries, the two other sons of Ishnok ran to Nisha's side. When Arden and Anya reached him, Deirdre finally released her grasp. Brother, why do you cry? said Arden. This woman is Deirdre and she has bound me to take her away from here. The three sons of Ishnok looked at one another, and Anya said, Great sorrow will come from this, but we will not see our brother shamed. Let the three of us take this princess away. We are the greatest warriors in Era. There is not a king or chieftain who would not house us. But the sons of Ishnok had greatly underestimated the power and respect commanded by King Conkabar Macnessa. The Ulster king was furious to discover Deirdre had been kidnapped. Worse, the crime had been committed by three of his most loyal warriors. The king felt he could not trust anyone anymore. He issued a decree that anyone who harboured the sons of Ishnok would be branded an enemy of Ulster. With this decree, Nisha, Arden, Anya and Deirdre were first to flee Era for Alba, the land we now know as Scotland. They hunted to stay alive, but when winter came, they were forced to hunt cattle owned by the locals. They built the strongest hut they could for Deirdre to sleep in, but built it with no windows so that no one could see her and be hypnotized by her beauty. Growing weary of hunting livestock and hating what their previously noble lives had become, the sons of Ishnok threw themselves on the mercy of the king of Alba. The king happily welcomed three mighty, renowned warriors into his service, but it was not long before the king's steward became aware of the princess these warriors were concealing. He went to the king and said, My lord, there is the most beautiful woman being held by that Irish lad Nisha. If we have him killed, she'll be all yours. 
but the King of Alba was more honourable than that. No, I will not kill to win a woman's love. Seek out this woman in secret and ask her. And the steward repeatedly went to Deirdre and told her if she left Nisha, she could marry the king and live a settled life of wealth and security, to which Deirdre would tell him, I've already been engaged to a king since before I was born. Kings want wives as possessions, trophies, to look pleasant by their side and give them sons. I want a life of my own, of passion and freedom. Nisha is who I chose. Nisha is the only one I will ever choose. Deirdre would say this nightly to Nisha himself, and even though he had given up his life in error, he could not help falling desperately in love with her. The fire burned in him. She was worth every part of this sorrow. But when the King of Alba was refused one too many times, he sent out assassins to murder the sons of Ishnach. Deirdre felt this would happen and warned the brothers, we must leave this place. If we do not leave tonight, you will be dead tomorrow. So Deirdre and the brothers were forced to take their chances and return to Era. In the preceding time, King Conchobar MacNessa had been encouraged to soften by his closest counsellors. It would be a terrible crime if three sons of Ulster were to be slain on foreign soil. Invite them home and pardon them and let this mess be over. So Kunkabar sent word to the sons of Ishnok that all was forgiven and that they were once again welcome in Ulster. The brothers were delighted, but Deirdre was suspicious. Tell him we will return if Fergus MacRoke personally comes to escort us back to Eamon Mocha. Fergus had been king before Kunkabar and was still in his service since the latter had won the throne from him. Fergus was a man of his word and had no personal vendetta against the sons of Ishnok, so Deirdre felt they could trust him. And trust him they could. Fergus and a party of soldiers made for the northeastern coast of Ulster to welcome the sons and Deirdre. But Kunkabar had other plans, and he didn't want Fergus to interfere. So the king organised that on the road back to Eamon Maka, Fergus and his men would be invited to a great feast that under the laws of hospitality he would be bound not to refuse. Deirdre was again suspect. To avoid being poisoned, she had convinced the brothers to all take a pledge not to eat any food in Ireland until it was being eaten by Kunkabar. So the four were forced to continue on the road home while Fergus was bound to stay at the feast. But Fiachna, Fergus's own son said he would continue on the road to ensure their safe return home. When they made it back to Eamon Maka, Deirdre, the sons of Ishnok, and Fiachna were greeted by Owen MacDurktok, the king of the Tua of Fernmac. Owen had been an enemy of Kunkabar, but the Ulster king had told the petty king if he gave the sons of Ishnok the welcome they deserved, there would be peace between the two. They met on an open plain in front of the king's keep. Nisha walked forward with his outstretched hand ready for peace, and Owen McDurtock greeted Nisha by plunging a spear through his chest. Fergus's son, Fiachna, ran to Nisha's aid, pulling the warrior away from Owen and putting himself between Nisha and his attacker. But with another great thrust, Owen pierced right through Fiachna into Nisha's heart, and Deirdre's love lay dead. With this treachery revealed, both Arden and Anya drew swords but were mercilessly cut down by Owen's men. 
Deirdre struggled as her hands were bound and screamed as her mouth was gagged. Tears landed on bloody grass as Deirdre watched the end of the three sons of Ishnach, who had given their livelihoods and now their lives to protect her. Like the hostage she felt she had always been, Deirdre was returned to the custody of Kunkabar MacNassa. When Fergus MacRoke found out about the king's deceit, how he had murdered the sons of Ishnach and his own son Fiachna, he declared all-out war with the Ulster king. He took 3,000 men strong and went to Connacht, to the court of King Alil and Queen Maeve. Ulster and Connacht had never been allies, but now they had a common enemy. And Deirdre cried, but never spoke every single day for an entire year. Conquabar thought she would eventually see the error of her ways and forget the sons of Ishnach, but after a year he grew impatient. He went to her and said, You were indifferent to me before, and now you hate me, when all I have ever done is protected you. Deirdre did not reply until she had considered every word. No, I did not hate you. As long as Owen McDurtock lives, I will hate him more. And like that, a solution came to Conquabar's mind. Well then, you shall go and live with Owen for a year. Then maybe you won't think of me as such a monster. Conquabar MacNassa personally escorted Deirdre in his chariot to deliver her to Owen. To add mockery to scorn, they had chosen to meet at the site where the sons of Ishnach had died. Owen was there sitting in his own chariot. When he came into sight, Conquabar said to Deirdre, this is a sight, isn't it? You're like a sheep eyeing up two rams. This was the final insult for Deirdre. She looked over the side of the chariot and saw a rock below. She cast herself free from Conquabar and her head split open on that blessed rock. And that was the end of Deirdre of the Sorrows. To be continued. <laughs> And that was the story of Deirdre of the Sorrows on Fireside. I hope you all enjoyed it. What a tale. Am I right? Am I right or am I wrong? That was... Deirdre of the Sorrows is... the third of what is known as the the three sorrowful tales of Irish mythology, and it's the final one we've done. The other two being the Children of Lear and the Sons of Tyran. Um both of which were in the mythological cycle and this one, of course, being in the Ulster cycle. So I've been looking forward to doing this since the day I started this podcast and learning more about it and what a fantastic tale it was as well. It's amazing to go from last time introducing Kunkabar Macnassa, uh, quite a noble, wise king, and for him to turn to a villainous character so quickly here and we're going to be spending the next few months really with Kunkabar. he is going to be the king all throughout the Ulster cycle and this isn't his finest hour but like so early in this story we are given this negative portrayal of him but these are all the seeds being set up to establish the Tawn the cattle raid of Cooley this is which is the greatest story in this Ulster cycle and I'm so glad that I am laying these foundations because I was going to basically go straight into the tone. But this is all this is all the context that I think we need. And this is all the context that I didn't know any other time I've read the tone uh, growing up. 
this is really the the really fundamental seeds. For example, most significantly here is Fergus McRoke, um, his division with the King and him going, this is the first time we've met, we've heard of King Alil and Queen Maeve. Queen Maeve being, other than Cucullin, probably the most famous character from uh, the Tawn. And boy, will she be a character. I can't wait to start telling, talking about her. But I had three main sources for this, so the real gospel for all of the Ulster Cycle is going to be Thomas Kinsella's adaptation of The Thorn, which is just so, so wonderful. It's great to be reading it again. Kieran Carson's version of The Thorn I love as well, but that more deals with just the story of The Thorn itself, whereas what's wonderful about Kinsella's is he gives these nine stories that set up The Thorn, of which Deirdre of the Sorrows is one of them. And chronologically, this is where it, fell, where it falls. I also, uh, I discovered a great little treat um, today, actually, before while I was just uh, doing the last bit of writing on this episode, is that Ronnie Drew, a singer of the Dubliners, recorded an album of him recording myths and legends. It is on Spotify. Check it out if you're a Dubliners fan. Or even if you're not, if you just want to hear one of the greatest Irish speaking and singing voices of all time, just the most quintessentially Irish quintessentially Dublin voice there is I'm trying to think um, I want to get it up There's there was a beautiful description of Ronnie Drew's voice That's yeah, he was recognisable for his long beard and pale blue eyes and his voice which was once described by Nathan Joseph as being like the sound of coke being crushed under a door coke being um kind of a a fuel rather than cocaine or Coca-Cola, if there was any clarity on that. But yes, Ronnie Drew is one of the great voices of any any nationality, full stop, fight me, fight me at mass on that. I'd check out and I listened to his his version of Deirdre of the Sorrows today, fighting with the sons of Ishnak. It's it's just wonderful and really check it out. I look forward to listening to the rest of them because he's done a lot of the ones I've done already and some I haven't done. But uh, yeah, that was a great treat to discover today. Always learning. And the third is uh, there is another great version on Bard Mythologies, which has, of course, been a great source to me since the beginning of this podcast online. Um, But those were the three main ones. And yeah, Deirdre is a very complex character. There's there's obviously echoes with uh, the pursuit of Dermot and Grania, uh, way back in the Fenian cycle, in that Dear Grania instigated this love affair as well, where she cast a spell on Dermot and forced him to take her away. And again, her being betrothed to a king in or a king of sorts in Fionn McCool. We have a similar thing with this, but in very different circumstances. It almost is set up like a very grim fairy, like like one of the grim tales in terms of um, her being... It, it reminded me a lot of Sleeping Beauty, basically, like with her being raised in secret in a cottage, you know, by a whimsical, a whimsical nurse and then wandering through the woods. And then this incredible image of the hair as black as as raven black and white as snow and red as blood, this imagery that she becomes obsessed with in this perfect description of Nisha. And that it is just this vision she has that I want someone like this and he is the person who is like this, so they just bound. But there is very little exploration. Like, we actually learn a lot more about Dermot and Grania's relationship. We see the love between them, whereas the actual love between... 
um, Nisha and Deirdre, which is there and which is revealed, is very secondary to the story rather than it just being about the tragedy of them being bound by fate and duty. And that is what the tragedy of the Sons of Ishnok is, particularly for the other brothers, for Arden and Anya, who weren't even named in a lot of versions they read of this, had to look up what they who they were. And they just wanted to protect their brother and protect their family's honour. And they are just the true victims. And Nisha is very inactive. I've made Deirdre almost more active in my version here because, of course, she is kind of taken away. And she is what all this... But she is much more... She is very Helen of Troy-ish in some versions. Whereas I saw no reason why she shouldn't be more active in terms of... um, that more being her idea that that they shouldn't trust Kunkabar and that they should fast and these very clever things that they do when they arrive. I, I didn't see any reason why that wasn't Deirdre's suggestion, especially if she was raised by Laracum, she was raised by this cunning satirist and that she is this incredible mind and just makes these decisions that she's going to get what she wants. And she lives and she dies on her own terms, which is probably why she has entered the Pantheon and is such a legendary and is the foremost tragic heroine in Irish myth because she does choose death over a life with Conchabar or with Owen. And this image of her finally throwing herself off the chariot and hitting her head. I'm not going to say it's wonderful, um, but it's incredible. It's beautiful. And you can see how the theme of this and how the characters of this have perforated the minds and and why she is written about. And what I do want to read now, because I've actually never read it, is um, J.M. Singh, uh, the great, great Irish playwright who wrote Playboy the Western World and Rogers the Sea. Uh, his last work, his unfinished work, is an adaptation of Deirdre of the Sorrows. Uh, and W.B. Yeats actually wrote a version as well. So I want to read, I think Singh's one is supposed to be very good. I think it's pretty finished. Um, but it would be fascinating now to to read that and to see how they portray all these characters and what slant uh, he puts on that. But I'm going to wrap things up there because I have to run. Um, but I really hope you enjoyed it. This was a great, great story, great challenge to ad- adapt and a big one. Uh, thank you so much again to everyone who came to Fireside Sessions. Uh, we'll hope to see you at the next one. Uh, thank you so much to Alan and Paddy here at Headstuff, to Jamie, my producer. And to all of you for listening, please do follow me on Instagram at Fireside Bard. And we will see you. I think that's everything. Don't think there's anything else. Uh, I will see you all. You will hear me all next time around the fireside. Thank you and good night. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.